0: This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello, and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside.
1: This week, Cersei, Morgana, and Rosaline the problem with feminist retellings.
0: (laughs) So, uh, once again, this episode is brought to you by Jules's uh, Reading. Addiction. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so dangerous, Jules.
1: (laughs) I should just stop doing it so much, really. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: You get ideas and start thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Basically, I read a book recently, which sort of crystallised for me why so many of these um, books that are marketed as feminist retellings um you know, in a very specific vein, mm-hmm. a, a sort of troubling me, I guess. Um, now, to be clear, I'm absolutely not besmirching the idea of retellings. Mm-hmm. Um, both Madeline and I love a good retelling, yep. whether it's historical events, mythology, or fairy tales. And if it's clever, funny, sensitive, and nuanced as a retelling, then I'm here for it, and I'm pretty sure Madeline is too.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: um, but. <laughs> but. There is a but, unfortunately. Not everything that comes after a but is, means that everything that went before it is worthless. Yeah. Um, h- however, it is very fashionable right now, or at least it's very marketable and therefore publishers are jumping on the trend, uh, to retell something specifically from a female character's point of view. Um, again, in and of itself, this isn't a bad thing, but it does come with inherent problems, and I personally don't feel enough people are challenging those issues. Yeah. And we're kind of like entrenching a different set of problems a different set of um well prejudices maybe even so
0: yeah and I think here the, we are the problem is <laughs> if a, a large part of it ties into what, what does feminism actually mean um, yeah because and, is feminism but, just female empowerment or is it equality between the sexes
1: yeah I mean that's a great place to start and I have to say that I am I've had kind of a love hate relationship with the term feminism ever since my pre adolescence. Mm. Um, it obviously wasn't something you wanted attached to yourself in the early 90s, the, the time of the, you know, when female equality was about being kind of a ladette, if you like. Yeah. Um, and when we kind of were just, we, we were really trying to shrug, shrug off the sort of second wave feminism and the third wave feminism is turning out not really to quite fit for a lot of people you didn't necessarily want that label it had a lot of poor connotations um uh, obviously I've grown up an awful lot since then and I don't necessarily think the idea most of the ideas let's be let's be clear here are bad in and of themselves it's just I don't feel they really cover everything I'm all for you know women having the right to vote and you know equal pay for equal work kind of thing and all the rest of it and uh, equal opportunities for everybody regardless of non-voluntary characteristics mm. um but the word itself unfortunately is not na- is now so loaded in so many ways that i find that people kind of use it as a bludgeon from both sides of the camp and we're almost better with a word like humanist you know which sounds really stupid but something which encapsulates you know we're we're all sort of one race kind of thing, we should all be looking after each other. Anyway, that sounds very hippie the way I put it. But
0: No, and I think you've kind of, you also make an interesting point, and this is where kind of, we really do see that obviously you and I are of a slightly different generation you know, in terms of the fact that we both lived through the 90s, but obviously I was younger than you through the I was born in the 90s
1: um, I was in my teens and teen was like, what <laughs>
0: two,
1: two to seven so yeah completely different perspective yeah
0: um and the fact that basically sort of among generations feminism does mean different things because we have had these different waves of feminism um and so for me the word is a little less loaded probably because i was really here just sort of during the i guess you could call it sort of fourth wave feminism really started to kind of emerge from the sort of the third wave when when i was in my teen years and that was very much based on the idea of equality um you know uh being an equalist rather than a feminist as it were but feminist yeah. actually meaning that um and so the word for me has different connotations and i think it's really important to remember then that uh you know feminist means a lot of different things to different people and when you were born or what wave of feminism you were kind of growing up with particularly during your teenage years these formative years is really going to affect your relationship with it um, and the relationship you have with it in terms of the other people around your age so i think that's really important to remember
1: absolutely and then let's add in the fact that we talk about waves of feminism Mm. Um, in addition to that a wave is a collection of ideas basically yeah and we characterize you know first wave feminism second wave feminism by the most dominant ideas but they don't encompass everything that was being thought at the time like we we think of second wave feminism being very much about the gender binary but actually not everybody thought like that yeah it was certain you know that and you have to put each wave within the context of its time so second wave feminism was kind of happening while the whole pressured 60s housewife thing was happening as well so there was a good reason to be looking at the the gender binary yeah yeah Um,
0: absolutely but that wouldn't
1: necessarily make it appropriate for now everything needs to evolve so it's really complicated um and if we're looking at what a feminist retelling is it's a very tricky question partly because of what we've just been saying
0: yes Um, so (laughs) with all that in mind (laughs) what is a feminist retelling
1: (laughs) yeah i mean we've just established that it doesn't you know feminism doesn't have a universal definition it can mean different things to different people at different times and and partly because the set of qualifying factors to make a book feminist in nature Mm -hmm. tends to be a set of goalposts which i find continually move yeah and they don't just move in one direction sometimes they're going side to side and sometimes they're going back and forwards
0: yes and to be honest they do need to continually move because we as a society continue to for the most part progress hopefully yeah okay um but for the purpose of this discussion um jules and i are going to agree i hope Uh, that (laughs) uh, feminist retellings basically take a well-known piece of literature, myth, fairy tale or historical event and tell it from the perspective of an often marginalised or even demonised female character.
1: Yes. And so far so good. It's not a bad thing. Well... It depends on how you structure your story, develop your characters and what you decide to remove or include, which is where we encounter our first set of problems, which we'll get into in a minute.
0: Yes. Um, In short, there are going to be a lot of pitfalls and you may find that you write something that is actually misogynist um, or misandrist or otherwise um, exclusionary without even meaning to. And that's before we even kind of tap into the idea that particularly when you're retelling a myth or, or something which has a lot of content and characters that people love, um, you're kind of also insulting all the people who liked this character by basically um rewriting them in a massive way. And I say not sorry, who liked this character. I don't mean your main female character, but all of the other characters around, depending yeah, on how fu- you do it.
1: You're, you're fucking with people's head cannon if it's something popular. Yes. There's no two ways about it. And how you do that and whether you do it respectfully or whether you do it in a less respectful way, which we'll get into, <laughs> um, really can influence what sort of story you end up telling. Yeah. I mean, there, there is also the other kind of writer who knows exactly what she's doing. And I say she because generally she is female. Yeah. And she feels justified in being mean because she has perhaps a specific chip on her shoulder about this sort of... Well, about sexism in general. Yeah. Um,
0: again, we'll get to that. Yes. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the pitfalls of the feminist retelling. Um, and we're going to start off with a kind of a point which might surprise a few people, which is that a lot of them <laughs> aren't actually feminist
1: yeah this is the thing that really makes me want to bang my head against a wall. Mm -hmm. um i mean let's assume that by feminist what you really want is equal opportunities for everyone regardless of involuntary characteristics as we said yeah um it's a broad oversimplification but let's start there
0: yeah now by that logic you would be seeking to readdress the balance and provide equal page time to female characters honestly maybe also to other marginalized characters but Right now, we're, we're going to talk about sort of uh, females um, and, and male characters. Now, if the only way that you can make your female character interesting, or give her agency, is by tearing down all of the male characters, then that is not a feminist retelling. You do not exhibit female strength by pulling everyone else down below her level.
1: Yeah. Um, And in addition, she needs to be a fully rounded character, which means she needs flaws. She's going to mess up and be in the wrong sometime. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about the specific book um, that really set me off on this. Mm -hmm. And I think there are people out there who will love this book. And I'm going to fully acknowledge the fact that. In many ways, for Arthurian cycle retellings, I have been ruined by the Mists of Avalon because it hit me at a really formative part of my life. Yeah, and I still haven't seen another sort of retelling set in the in the Arthurian sort of contemporary type time. Yeah, with actual historical detail that has come anywhere near to looking at sort of the religious implications. Um, the female male divide um actually things like sexuality and how that varied between different tribes of people as well mm-hmm. um different attitudes and morals at the time so you know i'm not going to talk about Marion zimmer bradley no we know i have my issues with her most people do yes but as a piece of literature retelling the Arthurian cycle it was a masterpiece and i can't get away from that so i'm recusing myself on that point because It makes it really hard to please me when you are setting something in the Dark Ages that's an Arthurian retelling or part of one. Yes. Um, (laughs) So I just want to acknowledge that I may have been more severe in some instances because of this. Now the book I read is My Name is Morgan by Sophie Keach. It is the most beautifully written book ever as in the first chapter was an easy five stars. The last chapter was an easy five stars. Everything in between was kind of Eh. okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was like a sandwich where the bread was the best bit
1: (laughs) kind of yeah um a a beautifully written eh but still eh. (laughs) yeah anyone translating this in india is going to be like what does air mean (laughs) what is that word general general sense of dissatisfaction okay um there was a big gap where the story should have been and there were all sorts of issues with it that are very personal to me and I'm not going to talk about those because that's clearly my problem mm-hmm. what I am going to talk about is every single bloke in that book was an absolute piece of shit or you know uh, uh, Goliath was killed off at the beginning so he was basically fridged now we know he dies so that Igraine can actually marry Uther
0: Yeah,
1: Uther is the most moustache-twirly, one-dimensional villain you can imagine. It's, it's insane. Next to him, Merlin only has slightly more depth. He is also a moustache-twirly villain. Um, and Keech is also using the whole male violence against women as a shorthand for this is a bad guy, which I hate, because I think even if you're going to make someone a villain, someone who isn't necessarily traditionally a villain even, mm-hmm. but fine, tell it that way, you should be less lazy. You should be, you should invest the time to give them an actual character rather than I hit women or go I'm a bad guy. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Then you get, <sighs> uh, okay, spoilers. I'm sorry, guys, but I mean you're probably familiar with the Arthurian cycle anyway, and the fact that there's various different versions of it. Um, Morgan has a, an affair while she's sort of fifteen, sixteen, with Acalon,
0: mm-hmm. who
1: was the he's basically a, a young knight from Gaul.
0: Yeah.
1: At that point. Um and the best that can be said about him is that he doesn't he sort of disappears in a jealous snit and we never see him again. Great. <laughs> sort of <laughs> abandons her. He abandons her. Uh Uryans, who is the King of Gaul at that point in time, apparently. Um, who Morgan does actually marry, starts off as kind of a bit more well-rounded and um, charming, and I found myself liking him. And then he, too, gradually descends into being basically a wife-beater.
0: Oh, great.
1: And really one-dimensional Um, Arthur, you'd think Arthur would get more of a mention, but he's spirited off at the beginning of the book and he turns up for five minutes at the end. And the reason that Arthur is the only good man in that book is because he's like a who is just this saintly woman. And then on top of that, the story is we have to assume it's set during the time that the Saxons are making incursions towards Britain, even though there wasn't a mass invasion. Uh, Because that's the one thing, the one historical detail that's actually mentioned. Mm. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that is just really so totally inaccurate in terms of... uh, Basically, she imported 20th century, 21st century sexism into this book to account for actions that happened to her heroine. And it was kind of like... Uh, Morgan, this great sorceress, who by the way never uses magic, is really annoying. She forgets she can use it right up until it's kind of like, oh, this will make a dramatic point. <laughs> There's, there was all sorts of things wrong with it. She doesn't make this character strong. Mor- um, Morgan is kind of like, really, she spends most of the book pining for Acolon, and then the rest of the book kind of like at odds with Uriens, and she's defined entirely by the male characters around her, which is ironic considering that Keith has done her best to make them really unimportant and remove them from the narrative. It's it's utterly nuts. This is not what I and it's being lauded as this great feminist retelling and it's like it's not because you it can't possibly be feminist because you're taking a, a strong female character from the myth and you're making her weak. You are literally making her weak, and the only way you can make her look strong is by making the, the male characters absolute assholes.
0: Mm.
1: And in a way that's kind of spiteful, in a way that I've seen reviews by men who've read this book, and they read to me like reviews where white readers have read books by uh, authors of colour who have perhaps these authors have kind of like fucked up in how they've written something but because the reviewer is white, they have to be very delicate about how they say something in case they get accused of being racist when really they're just being critical of a piece of literature. It was like that. These these male reviewers were kind of like, this didn't really work for me, rather than, no, hang on a minute, you've deliberately set out to alienate me from source material, which is actually as much mine as it is yours. Yeah. Let's be honest about what you're doing here.
0: And, um, you know, the thing is that, We can turn around and say, okay, there has been a lot of material, particularly around the Arthurian myth, which has been written for men, predominantly. Absolutely. Um, And so, and as Jules has acknowledged, this book is actually going to be liked by a lot of people, and that's fine too. It's okay to have something which is written for, you know, a specific target group and say, okay, you didn't enjoy this. Well, it wasn't for you. Yeah. But when, you know jules and i basically have to acknowledge that when we're looking at these books we are kind of looking at them in terms of sort of the as a rounded piece of literature not just necessarily as a specific piece if that makes sense um and so yeah we can absolutely acknowledge that for some people this is going to be exactly what they need needed to read and for some people it's going to be very cathartic from our perspective um and i have not read it it doesn't sound like it will be very satisfying because, as Jules has so saliently put down, um, a a text which basically empowers female characters by just tearing down everyone else doesn't actually feel like empowerment at all. Um, and I, I, I'm gonna actually give an, an example of a book where the male characters aren't very pleasant but it doesn't but but it has actually worked and that's uh, anita diamant's the red tent i don't know if you've yeah. read that jules
1: i have quite a while ago but yeah yeah
0: so i really enjoyed that book um and it's fair to say that you know it, it's basically a retelling of um uh the joseph story um as in joseph and his technicolor dream coat kind of story except yeah. it's basically from the point of view of his sister dina um who is mentioned in the bible and she is literally a footnote where yeah. basically it says that she was uh, she was raped and that um kind of all sorts of stuff happened and it it basically looks at her story and i thought that it was very very well done because the characters hadn't been totally changed or anything like that actually they seem to be much more representative of what they're actually like in the source material as it were yeah um and it was balanced, there were lots of female characters, there was tragedy, and rather than it being uh, rape, actually, it was just that she basically um, married someone that the family didn't approve of, etc. And it was very well-researched, it was beautifully written, and there were lots of male characters who were very nice, um, who were rounded, um, It wasn't just this right the only way to make these female characters successful is to make everyone else terrible it was to basically say we're going to tell their story and they have their own story outside of what the men are doing because like joseph actually features very little in it, and you can see he goes off and he has his own little thing um but dina's story it goes off she becomes someone else um, she goes and has this whole journey, um, she experiences all sorts of different things, and it was her story. And to me, that is a feminist storytelling. Um, because it took a character who whose only, you know, purpose within the original material was to be a victim, and then never to be mentioned again, and went let's look at her story instead. Um, and did it beautifully. I think Anita Diamant did it wonderfully.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you never get the impression that her agenda is to, to, to literally lash out at men or masculinity, which is kind of where I feel Sophie Keach was coming from. Mm. Um, And I felt the same way about certain other retellings as well. I don't want to just name and shame, but the reason I mentioned my name, Morgan is my name is, um, just because it it really did, it was the last pebble that started the avalanche. Yeah. So, um, okay, so other problems that sometimes don't really get addressed is when authors, again, female authors generally, do the gender-bent version of the sexy lamp, fridged body, femme fatale. Yeah. So, you know, remember when we were all really annoyed that female characters in fantasy and various other types of fiction were only allowed a narrow scope for existence? Yeah. And, you know, they were sexy lamps or <laughs> fridged bodies or they were, you know, demonised, basically. They were the, the bad guy. If they had agency of their own, then they were almost unhuman, unnatural because they were acting under their own steam. Yeah, I'm now seeing women doing this to male characters and I don't like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And again, I understand that there are a lot of people who are like, well, it's our turn um, and I, just, I kind I just, of a part of me does. It's goes, so reductive. Yeah, I, I like. Okay, I get it, but like, you 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 kind of but you get past this point of saying instead of progress, it's revenge. You know, <laughs> and I'm like that. That's that's counter counterproductive, um, and we see actually how when when it's done like that. It tends to it tends to kind of actually really make everything step back, um, and fantastic examples of this are when you see kind of certain movies or things like that or franchises which are being redone and they're being done with this kind of revenge mindset, and then they sort of flop because actually it was all based on revenge and it wasn't based on let's tell a good story. Yeah, Uri so is king. <laughs> it, it it just hasn't actually worked um and then that has basically kind of sent this message of saying well apparently people don't want stories with strong female characters etc and again the problem is that strong female characters rather than it being strongly written characters which is what everyone wants everyone wants strongly written characters for all of the genders um they basically go no one no one wants strong female characters um so we'll go back to what we were doing before because it was it was working successfully yeah um it's counterproductive
1: yeah you compound the problem yeah um and it's just basically (laughs) okay two two points here but um basically just to really clarify this hammer at home with a railroad with a railroad spike even um but it's still sexism if it's men you're doing this to you know yeah i hate it when people say oh there's no such thing as reverse sexism women can be incredibly misogynistic even to other women they can absolutely be sexist against men um basically prejudice can happen perfectly well with any type of human in any situation
0: yes and also it's just like there's no such thing as reverse yeah <laughs> it's like a reverse sex it was like mm, sexism is sexism <laughs> It's like you're
1: right. There is no t- such thing as reverse sexism because
0: it's just sexism. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's... actually, reverse sexism would just be being like way too involved with other people. I mean, I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Exactly. Thank you.
1: Um, okay. Well, <laughs> obviously, but, uh, believe it or not, I haven't been as ranty about this book I read that uh, as I wanted as I would have been. Um, because Alan got both barrels of it one morning before work, <laughs> and it was a morning where I wasn't working till the afternoon, but he was going off to work, and he was he was kind of ranting about something else. So it was great. I was ranting about one thing, he was ranting about something else. We both got it off our chest. He went off to work. <laughs> Five minutes later, he phoned me as he was driving to work. Obviously, he's got hands free in his car, yeah. and said, "I was just thinking about that book," and he came back with lots of really really excellent points, <laughs> and it's like. It's like, I can't wait till tonight to tell you this. I must tell you my thoughts <laughs> on this now. It's like, you know what? That, who needs flowers and romance? That's what you want in a relationship. Yeah. Um, but he said, he came up with something that I thought was an interesting point. I don't entirely agree with it, but I think he's got a point. Mm-hmm. And that is the whole Labrador mentality. And yeah. he, he said, you know, you're absolutely right, particularly during the sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, etc., Female characters were written a certain way, and I can well understand how that pisses you off because you're very much not one of those people. And obviously, but he said it wasn't, he said aside from a few edge cases who genuinely needed to go out and actually meet women,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it wasn't necessarily done in a mean way. It was just kind of like, I'm writing for boys, I'm part of the boys' club, ergo, I'm writing this because I think this stuff is cool and they love it. And they were kind of writing without the idea that lots of women like speculative fiction
0: yeah
1: and that might they might in fact like to see slightly more two-dimensional characters who are female and he said but instead what you've got the other way around now is you've got women who are deliberately writing men in that way with an edge of malice to it and it isn't the labrador thing where you know like with those male writers of the 70s and 80s they were just so happy to be out that they were doing really stupid stuff without yeah. any real ill intention now you've got people literally doing it out of spite and all this built up anger and and you know it's it's kind of just been fire-hosed over everything in a way that's really unprodu- unproductive and is alienating a huge part of the audience because mm-hmm. even if you're right you think you're writing for women you might be surprised to discover you're actually also writing for men and everybody else as well.
0: Yeah. And again, I've got to counter this by saying that you know, target audiences are a thing for a reason. Um, absolutely. And it is absolutely okay. People write and and sort of create certain things for cathar- you know, for catharsis to create stuff for specific audiences. You know, there are there are genres and and types of different horror which are so specific that most people will be like, I cannot stand this, but for a few select people, it's like, yeah, that's really hitting the spot and helping me, um, you know, get through everything. And this book is, is gonna be one of them. Um, but the problem is, and this is again, a bit of a double-edged sword, is we kind of, when you sort of watch horror for the most part healthy people will go right okay i've finished watching horror but i know inherently that you know axing people because uh i've <laughs> because of my <laughs> problems is not actually a solution but when you introduce this kind of idea of certain behaviors or, or kind of the sense the sense of men are inherently like this yes a lot of people are going to be like yes that isn't the case but it can affect the way that you look at other people, and that can be dangerous, um, because we can sort of it, it. It does pull in that sort of mob mentality a tiny bit. Um, yeah, and definitely. You know, when you do that, we lose something which is much more important, which is understanding the ability to consider other perspectives. Um, And this is not me therefore saying, so feminist retellings are bad, because obviously they're not. Um, This is me saying whenever this is done, on both sides, it's not good because it stereotypes an entire group of people and basically says this is what you can expect from them. And the moment you start to alienate people like that, relations break down and it's not progressive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, I I kind of see the point a lot of people have made about this next pitfall, which is the removal of trauma. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: But I also see the other side as well. So basically a lot of these retellings are set around specific time periods or around myths and stories that deal with specific themes. Hmm um so you know i can understand why we've got an awful lot of greek myth retellings and a lot of the greek myths as we know them or if you know if you're not willing to really really dig past sort of homer and um various other writers of that era yeah
0: well
1: that ilk and weirdly enough to dig past the the victorian translations that we kind of still rely on a lot Mm -hmm. um then you might be you might well think that yeah those stories are very much sort of categorizing rape as a normal part of the female experience yeah um when in fact when you sort of dig into the fragmentary myths that came before you're like actually these are stories that were co-opted by quite a patriarchal society and reframed to fit them
0: yeah
1: um And I absolutely do understand the perspective where, as a writer, you think, okay, I want to write about this cool character from Greek myth, for example, but I don't want her being gang raped. It's like, I don't want to write that, okay? I feel the same way, to be honest. (laughs) Um, But I do also understand the perspective that you don't actually make your female character stronger by completely changing or scrubbing historical context
0: yeah i mean if you want to do that then base you know create do a fantasy which is inspired by <laughs>
1: Yeah, i mean it's, I mean, I honestly, I, I just don't want to read yet another sexual assault scene kind of thing, particularly yeah. when I know that most of those myths and things are based in something that may or may not have had anything to do with sexual assault or may have been metaphors for the seasons changing, you know? Yeah. So uh, having yet another rape scene associated with an already silenced character, but removing the trauma also potentially removes the context of their triumph. I do understand that argument. Um, but there seems to be a group of people now who are like really anti the Hades and Persephone myth, which is so popular at the moment, mm. unbelievably popular. There are hundreds, of thousands retellings of it, and and some of them are ridiculous. Some of them are really stupid, in my opinion. They're clearly not written for me. Um, and some of them are written as kind of dark romance type things with lots of smut. And you know what? If that's your bag, you do you. But there, are, there's this very strident group of feminists who are complaining that you're taking a story that was about rape and romanticizing it and I would come back on that and say well actually we know that Persephone and Demeter existed way before Hades Hades was tagged on sort of like a thousand years later yeah so this cannot possibly be have been the original myth this is something that was written in a very specific way and then you have the story taken and rewritten again in a very specific way, clearly to titillate with the male audience. And then the Victorians translated it in a way to titillate them their male audience as well. So you, you're arguing from a
0: position of um, not having all the facts. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> Historical context is incredibly important because if you are, if you're retelling something... And you basically look at what was what the story originally said, um, and apply it with sort of modern mentality. You are going to, you know, you're going to lose something a little bit there. Um, a really good example of this is the the Tale of Genji. The Tale of Genji is this like this epic um, yeah. Japanese Mur- Murasaki. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah um, and. A lot of people would sort of look at it and be like, Genji acts in a very, very strange way. He grabs this (laughs) woman, uh, you know, he, he sees this beautiful woman, he grabs her, he carries off to a room, and then he basically begs her and says he loves her and he's absolutely pitiful. And it basically looks like he's just locked her in a room and then he has sort of guilt tripped her into having a relationship with him
1: of Mr. Collins' her.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but like worse. And the thing is, you know, we're looking at that and we're like, this is really odd behaviour. But within the context of what's happening and what was popular at the time, bearing in mind that um, I, I believe that the Tale of Genji was written by a woman. Yeah, Murasaki. Yeah, yeah. She it, The whole thing is actually based on the the sort of the way of flirting during the period and what was considered to be attractive, which was that during that time, assertiveness was not really considered to be attractive in men. Um, that kind of came a little bit later. Instead, there was this kind of this whole romance- romanticization about being pitiful. Yeah. About being, you know, it, it's almost the, oh, I'm so lovesick, I'm, I'm going to die kind of thing. And the, with the women, the reciprocation of that was based on the fact that if a woman wasn't interested, she would just completely ignore. Yeah, and that was she would just completely ignore this display, and she wouldn't talk, and she'd look away. If she was interested, she would refuse, essentially. Yeah, um, because it was all based on this idea of what is beautiful, and for for. For the men it what was beautiful was considered to be you know uh this kind of to be lovesick and she and the woman would go along with that act basically saying ah oh, you're lovesick so I will be the thing that is driving you to this yeah and within the whole context, then that scene where he grabs her and then he takes her to sort of a room, and he he's there and sort of begging her, and she's saying no, I would, I will never, etc., and then gives in, it has a completely different meaning, whereby they are actively engaging in what we would essentially say is role play. Um, it's conscious it's consenting for the both of them. They kind of know what's going on. Now, of course, there's different sort of things going around and there might be people who know more about it than I do who who can point out further depths to that. But the point is that context really does make a difference there. I cannot look at it from through a modern lens in order to understand what is actually trying to be said here. So yeah, if I was it's... adapting that properly to, for the modern day i would basically show their relationship as being consensual
1: yeah absolutely um going back to our our trauma thing
0: yes historical context for a
1: moment but you're absolutely right um i i agree essentially with the whole you shouldn't remove trauma from the narrative entirely but Mm -hmm. yes you should absolutely interpret it in terms of the context of the time yeah so if you look at something like pat barker's the silence of the girls which uh follows Briseis's journey um around the, the sort of trojan war mm-hmm. etc um Bryce was was obviously taken captive and she was given to achilles to start with and then um she was uh, after the end i think she was given off to somebody else as well and the way pat barker has framed it, she hasn't removed the whole trauma and this is very much troy from the women's perspective yeah but it's not gratuitous and it's also kind of the very you know powerlessness and bricey still keeping herself as she is if you like you know exercising what little agency she has within the confines of what was a very we would find a very sexist very confined society where women were not allowed to do very many things at all yeah um kind of makes that story work it's not about sort of like yeah let's make (laughs) i mean to be honest helen of sparta probably could use a sword thinking about it because she was a spartan woman yeah um, and there, you know there were obviously cultural differences and things, but in in general, um, most women were sequestered away because the men were jealously keeping their wombs for them. If you see what I mean? Yes. <laughs> um, it wouldn't have made sense for varieties to start poisoning the <laughs> poisoning the Achaeans, for example, so sort of sneaking around the camp and and uh, putting things in the food. So. Yeah, I think she's done better in that respect than certain other people have um, of of looking at certain myths and things. Um, so, but I will also add that surviving trauma by itself does not make a character strong. It's generally the wisdom derived from the knowledge and experience and the ability to use it in future um, to rise above an unfair system that denotes the strength. And I think that's what an awful lot of these feminist retellings is kind of ignoring
0: yeah and so this is and this is again a really important thing to remember is that we're talking about character strength um and that's the strength of the character as a kind of as an engaging character as as a character that sort of stands out and things like that we're not talking about real experiences we're not talking about people when you know surviving any kind of trauma it requires strength in real life characterization you can have a strong character who's a terrible person, but they're still a strong character, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess I don't. what I don't want to see is the Sansa Stark thing, where it's like, oh, yes, you deserve to be Queen of the North. And it's like, based on what, five minutes of wisdom near the end? It wasn't earned, basically, in storytelling terms.
0: Yeah, I feel like we could have there was there was so much potential there and we yeah. and i think they started on it we started to see a little bit of it like in earlier versions of sansa where she was you know she learned how to be sort of emotionally you know manipulative she knew how, she learned how to use the weapons which were at hand and then we didn't actually get enough of that more we didn't get to see her her story progress
1: beyond no, that I mean, enough she should have She should have been the antithesis to Daenerys, who, if you think about it, had a very similar start.
0: Yeah.
1: Just on the other side of the world. And Daenerys has gone in one direction and become essentially, you know, Charlemagne, a conqueror. Yeah. And Sansa's gone the other way and saying, okay, my loyalty and my love is to my people. Yeah. Which is a very different way of looking at things. And you could have played those two off against each other quite nicely, but it kind of squandered the whole thing. I guess that's, that's why I was kind of annoyed, because five minutes of uh, you know stupid decision after stupid decision yes she was a teenager but after a certain point <laughs> it's, like, it's like come on you're using this just as a contrivance to drive the story um anyway so moving on to the next point which is do you actually know the historical context you're writing it so yes you're writing a fairy tale or you're rewriting a fairy tale rather and it's fantasy, but that fairy tale started out life as a folk tale in a completely different century. Yeah. So, for example, if you read Andrew Lang and you side either Brothers Grimm, that's <laughs> not going to cut it. You need to go back as far as you possibly can, which might be de Basile. It yeah. might even be Herodotus if you're looking at Cinderella. Yeah, seriously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so why? why 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 must you why
1: why? (laughs) why must you do the research
0: yeah why well because what has survived of this story is its themes um and those themes have germinated and they've grown um and you know they grew in a time where people thought completely differently um in fact, you might do your research and find out that the story was feminist in its original incarnation and has just been overwritten by increasingly more patriarchal concerns since then. Which is definitely something that you kind of find if you read, like, if you look at earlier versions of um, Little Red Riding Hood,
1: right, like, or Rapunzel, even, or, or
0: Rapunzel. Yeah, I mean, if I think of story of grandmother. Uh, which, is a, which is a good kind of version. Uh, Little Red Riding Hood... There is no moral message at the end. Um, you know, it, it's... Little Red Riding Hood escapes. She doesn't get eaten. Uh, grandma does, but... <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood sort of... <laughs> it's, really sucks to be grandma. <laughs> does suck to be grandma, but Little Red Riding Hood basically gets away, and it seems very much more like a story about a girl who kind of is a little bit interested by a guy she goes off to meet him she's ready to have sex and then she kind of gets there and goes actually i'm a bit grossed out by you not gonna lie you've taken your clothes off and you're hairy and weird and i'm not into this so i'm gonna leave and then she does yeah um and (laughs) and she does cleverly um you know (laughs) like that i it's not you know it's you would definitely if 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 you were presented with red riding hood like the you know the um perrault's version let's talk about perrault's version because it's very patriarchal um and then you were given story of grandmother you'd be like oh story of grandmother is a feminist retelling no story of grandmother is older
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's closer to the original i mean we obviously don't have the original original because most of them were oral tales that were passed down but yeah, and it's the same with Rapunzel, whereby if you look at as close to the original as we can get, Rapunzel is bored being locked in a tower by another woman, not yeah. by a man, by another woman. So she invites the prince up to have sex with her and she knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> and she's also there's also a hint that she might be using him to escape as well. Yeah. Okay, so with myths and folktales, historical context is also important. It's not okay to import incorrect assumptions about religion, 20th century sexism, or you know, basically a Tumblr mindset or modern twi- Twitter dialogue into your retelling. Unless, of course, you're going for a farce. Yeah. I'd um... <laughs> we... say so that goes double for historical events as well. I think you've got a real duty with historical events to try and be accurate within your understanding of those events.
0: Yeah. And I think... Essentially, this it, it really does depend on what kind of retelling you're doing. Um, because there are ways of doing it whereby if you say, actually, I do want to talk about these modern things, I do want to bring these modern things in, it's like, okay, great, Tell do a, re- a de- do a modern retelling.
1: Yeah, don't set it in historical context.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, because if you're setting it in historical context, there's got to be a reason you're setting it in historical context. And other than just if you're thinking, well, I just kind of, want it to look like that um you know another way you can say well i want it to have this kind of historical thing okay then or i want it not to be set in the modern world because i want to have the you know the whole swords and sorcery kind of thing okay lean into the fantasy of it then don't actually try and make it historical because the moment that you apply historical things it isn't then going to make sense or be satisfying if you're like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do these historical things and argue like it's historical and then completely ignore what the actual historical context is
1: yeah it's incredibly annoying um and i I find it quite damaging as well because we've got all these assumptions about history particularly sort of the medieval era and earlier which are just Blatantly false. Yeah. And it's part of the reason people still believe there's no proper canon of female inventors, astronomers, scientists, philosophers, writers, artists, is because we keep assuming women didn't do anything except have children and stay at home. And it's simply not true. Women did everything men did.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's like the idea that women were subservient to men is actually a comparatively recent one. Mm. Um, you know, sort of civil war era onwards. Um So, yeah, I can hear people saying, oh, but the myths, to which I reply, it depends on where in the world you are and at what time period. And, you know, by the way, what translation are you reading? Because we have historians who stuck through, who sort of struck through anything written by a woman with a margin note saying feminine, meaning it was written by a woman. Ergo, it's not worth considering. And we're reclaiming a lot of that now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And also...
0: (laughs) sorry just in terms of like myths and if we use you know Arthurian myths as an example um people tend to to only really be drawing from one version of the source when there are many 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 versions um yeah
1: i mean you've got at least six main bodies of the myth and all those subdivide into like 50 others yeah I think you could you could almost have a degree on Arthurian studies. To be honest, there's that
0: many. Yeah, you 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 really could, and like you know, pe- people say I'm going to do a, a sort of a feminist. One thing I don't understand is people say, I want to do a feminist retelling of of sort of like Morgana and the Arthurian myths, and I'm like, why then are you choosing? You know, and you're like, I want to show her as this powerful sorceress and stuff. I'm like, why then are you you drawing from the versions, the the sort of the some of the later versions? where she's a character and she's kind of become villainized or stuff like that. Why don't you instead look at some other versions where it doesn't even mention that she's his sister. In fact, it has her as the leader of a bunch of other fairy women and she's a healer and stuff like that. You could do that one instead. You could like, there's a lot of opportunity there. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, the further back you go, um, obviously they become more fragmentary. Yeah. But myths borrow from each other, traditions borrow from each other. I mean, forget Geoffrey of Monmouth. If you just follow the follow Merlin through the Brute tradition, Merlin does some really weird shit. Yeah, As in some really really weird stuff. And he, I swear he must be able to bi locate because one minute he's in Ireland, next minute he's in Cornwall.
0: Yeah, seriously. And also, practically at the same time. <laughs> and and th- this is the other thing: like you look at different versions. Like there are versions where Merlin has a twin sister, for example most people yeah. most people don't know that and and it's like and it's not and he doesn't have this weird antagonistic relationship with his twin sister the two of them really love each other like they yeah. <laughs> they genuinely care about each other and stuff like that and it's like there's a lot of possibilities um and but because these are the lesser known ones and they're older people kind of just go okay well I'm I'm not I'm going to completely ignore this and I do understand the whole you know if you were raised like i was and and i'm I'm very much sure like jules was you know on these on certain versions of the arthurian myths you might have been like actually i kind of want to see a little bit more from morgan's point of view that's absolutely fine but you know you've got to consider the whole rounded picture i think
1: yeah definitely um this kind of brings us on to reclamation if there's one thing I hate in marketing terms more than a feminist retelling as part of the marketing type copy, mm-hmm. it is someone using the word reclamation um it's so loaded uh, there are definitely stories which originally belong more to women than to men which have been co-opted for example the Persephone myth yeah which we know was reworked with probably quite a deliberate patriarchal agenda because it was a you know very much about persephone dread bringer of death queen of hell etc and where was hades oh he wasn't there she didn't need a man yeah originally (laughs) um but i think we need to be really careful that we're not reclaiming things that are not actually ours um and men also deserve stories in which they are the heroes or are represented so scrubbing all decent men from a narrative is every bit as bad as removing all the women or all the people of color or all the gay people which again are all things which have happened
0: (laughs) it's also very much makes massive assumptions and it's probably also it kind of it reeks a little bit of um second wave feminism in terms of it feels very binary where you basically just say all women I'm this is a feminist retelling and my I have got my main usually cis you know female character and I and the idea is all women will associate with this character and any of the other characters whom they've associated with, if they're not women, they're going to be bad.
1: Yeah, which is insane. Cause, I mean, if you take the Arthurian cycle again, why not? Because it's the example we're using. Yeah. Um, who are some of your favourite characters? Because mine also include Merlin, Taliesin, yeah. um, Arthur himself on occasion. I love Gawain. Yeah. <laughs> As well as, as Morgana, and even more Gauss to be
0: honest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and so I I would actually be kind of upset if, you know, particularly because, you know, I associated with certain characters, and and a lot of them were, were the male characters. And a part of me goes, yes, um, a reason why I'm probably associating with male characters is because as you know a child they were the main characters of the stories that i read but it isn't just that and it's not just that for a lot of readers regardless of gender you know because gender is not this this binary whereby all women have the same experience all men have the same experience and it's it's inherent and that there aren't there isn't a lot of crossover even before we get to the whole other well what about all the other genders you know and expressions etc so if you basically just make this divide whereby all the male characters are evil and um all of the female characters of which i often find in a lot of feminist retellings there aren't that many female characters um, um are 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 good you're basically also saying um well this is if if you're not uh, associating with this if you're not agreeing with this if you don't sort of connect with these characters you are wrong
1: yeah i think we also need to consider that sometimes female writers come in with a feminist agenda they choose something for a retelling and they don't necessarily do the research very well and they'll take a story that actually belongs more for example to say the gay community So, for example, if I see yet one more feminist retelling of The Little Mermaid, I may actually throw things at the wall because (laughs) in many ways that's... I mean, The Little Mermaid's ultimate goal in the end is that to love unselfishly makes you closer to being... You know, to, to really love unselfishly makes you the best kind of person, I think, regardless of whether you are the same kind of person as the person you fell in love with, whether you're the right person for them. Yeah. Um, So it kind of belongs to everyone in that respect. But to take it and say, no, this is all about a a woman changing herself in order to try and get a man. And it's like, you're kind of missing a lot of the point there, a lot of the context.
0: Yeah. um, And the, the reason of also, again, context in terms of the reason it is a tragedy is because of the period it was being written in, where there was this sense of, no matter what I do, it is impossible for me to be with you. And to be honest, if you wanted to do a modern, a a modern retelling is actually the version where there is a happy ever after. You know, Disney in that way actually did have the (laughs) kind of the right sort of thing, which was that actually, um,
1: the whole- Maybe love can conquer all.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is that Ariel wasn't changing just for, you know, for eric and stuff like that she had already been leaning towards it in some respects it is the ultimate trans metaphor um in terms of saying she had always been this you know been this way it had been discouraged she kept doing it she kept wanting it and then finally she found that there was an ability to do that um and she was happy because of it um and there was love mixed in with that as well but yeah, yeah, I I do think that
1: she chose a different life for herself. Basically, came out as human. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> and she was happy with that in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, they largely leave out the. I mean, there's a lot in the in the fairy tale about obviously being human being a source of pain for her the whole time because she'll always yearn for the sea. Yeah, which I think was Anderson kind of drawing on the idea that you know selkies and mermaids and things always want to return to the sea yeah Um, so that's where he was drawing on folklore but yeah that's a it's not a story that you have to tell as a gay metaphor um obviously anderson couldn't write it as the little merman at the time because there was a good chance he would have been imprisoned for that yeah um anyway stories do broadly belong to everyone and you can draw from the well and tell your own version but it's very ignorant not to do so without tracking something down to its source as much to the best of your ability
0: yeah and again i i do appreciate appreciate that and i'm sorry i'm going to summon him the roland baths thing <laughs> Yeah, um, and i do he you know <laughs> oh no he's trails. sliding in <laughs> You summoned me the whole death of the author thing. I do appreciate that. And I do also think that, yes, sometimes fairy tales are so universal that you can kind of redo it. But I do think that there is something to be said, therefore, about putting it in a modern context. If you want to retell it a a modern story, you can do that. But I, I do think that whenever you are doing anything like that, whenever you're reading something, even if you do want to kind of disregard the author you should also consider the bias of your own lens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right, Um, so my biggest problem with feminist retellings um, is kind of the spite which can become inherent with certain writers writing certain things. Not everybody, absolutely not every feminist retelling. I'd like to say not even most of them. I'm sure it's just sheer dumb bad luck that i've ended up with a, a selection of them one after the other recently
0: weirdly enough i um, think it's the ones that twitter gets them the loudest about
1: uh, yeah probably because they're they're controversial ergo people are then gonna go oh this isn't right and you know some men will actually put their hands up and say hang on a minute this isn't okay which gives women a chance to shout them down if i was being really cynical that's what i think yeah. um i think my biggest problem is they're treated like an act of revenge against all men in general yeah um there's absolutely no need to depict all male characters poorly they don't all need to be absolute pieces of shit especially if you're adapting material that very definitely belongs to men and women and everybody else yeah yeah which i would argue the arthurian cycle by this point really does
0: yes um and it it also i think plays into something which Uh, I've mentioned in the past, um, and you also kind of see in a lot of sci-fi, which is um, the self-fulfilling prophecy. In terms of basically saying that, you know, we tend to kind of, we have this thing, and we see it in sci-fi a lot as well, whereby, you know, you say, well, everything's shit, and therefore this is what the world actually looks like or is going to look like. So all men are terrible all men are terrible, they are potential rapists, etc. Which is blatantly untrue. And it's very pessimistic. And the problem is that when you do that, you also basically kind of look at the world in terms of being hopeless. And you don't make any kind of movements to sort of try and make it better because it already feels like a done deal. Um whereas optimism when you see it does actually pro- tend to provoke change and we we again sorry to change the subject a little bit but if we you know look at star trek for example the optimism of the first one was yes we're still going to be talking about these issues but we're looking at a version of humanity which where everything is better um and we have got there and the optimism and there are lots of things which actually really caused change or inspired change within that because it they just decided to be inclusive and that had a bigger change than having these kind of dire warnings i think and i think it's the same when you have these retellings these feminist retellings if you tell a version of the story where all men are just terrible they're all just terrible you're kind of also gearing your brain up to just see it like that and therefore you don't see you kind of become sort of unable to recognize where that's not the case Um, and you create that world within your own mind and you alienate people because of that um, who might prove you wrong because you've already decided that's what the world is just inevitably like Um, and I really do think that it's absolutely okay to to show pessimism and stuff like that you know to, to show bad characters or people being bad but you should also actually show what you want to see which is men being good men being kind men being etc um even if your your experience has not been like that by sh- including that you're hopefully also helping yourself to heal
1: yeah absolutely and as madeline has said it doesn't mean you can't what you write cannot be targeted specifically towards women it's yeah. fine Um, We have definitely been shoved to the margins of mythology and folklore. We absolutely do deserve to see ourselves represented in positive ways and given voices because, you know, quite often we're not even named, let alone allowed to speak. Yeah. But if you find all the men are assholes in what you write, you need to ask yourself why you're doing that. Yeah. Men are not one indistinguishable morass any more than women are. So, if one or several men offended you, it doesn't mean that all or even most of them are bad. Yes. Be angry by all means, but point that anger in a productive direction.
0: Yes, and also make sure that you remember that if you, when you, when it comes to male characters, you are just as likely to be alienating your your readers, regardless of their gender. Absolutely. Okay,
1: final note on this, in, and that is the, the female rage movement, which seems to be gearing up at the moment. Mm. Um, I'm really nervous about this movement. It, it's a bit like the various sort of soft political movements that came out of Tumblr in sort of 2010 mm-hmm. and a bit earlier, or a bit later. Um, basically mostly well-intentioned people who were perhaps not the best informed. Um, they were very driven But they maybe didn't have the life experience necessary to really parse out um, certain situations. And it's sort of what you'd expect from people in their their teens and early 20s who, without any disrespect, because I used to be one of them as well. And I was very sure of myself. And I was looking back now, I can also see that I was very wrong on a number of a number of things. Um, This particular movement seems to be coming out of TikTok rather than Tumblr. Mm. Um, and I I do understand it because as I've said I've been a teenage girl and I've been a twenty something. I know exactly what it's like when suddenly the world is very obviously not an equal place for you. Yeah. And by the way, here is a list of historical supporting evidence which suggests that it's always been very unfair. You know, even if that list is actually quite inaccurate. So I do get it. Um, but it's the assuming we have some sort of carte blanche to act however we choose because we are female and have historically been oppressed. Ergo, we are righteous. That's a very dangerous idea. And the fallout will be something we all regret. I truly do believe that.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's an inherent thing for teenagers to be angry. Um, yeah. And I think also, to be honest, that's healthy in some respects because anger and youth tends to be a driving force really um yeah and when you you kind of you, you sort of lose the energy when you get a bit older <laughs> i think for some things i think to be honest yes there are definitely issues where no matter what the age is you can still be angry and very passionate about it uh, but i think that there is a special kind of energy that you see in um in in teenagers and young people Uh, which is very much based on their age and what's happening in their brains at the time. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's very useful and it's actually served a purpose in in creating change uh, across history. So this is not me saying, oh, they're wrong, that that's not the case in the least. Um, But I do think you're also, you're right in terms of saying that when it comes out of social media and stuff like that, you've also got to ask what has informed it where where is the information come from and is it also that actually the anger which you're directing towards it is is actually really an unresolved trauma which comes from something else um and perhaps that's what you need to do and again i i do think that anyone who says well we don't need to keep going with feminism you know they're wrong the whole point is that every time we meet a goal we then have to keep moving forward and that's for the embetterment of everybody yeah
1: i think the focus Um, needs to shift. i mean to be honest talking about feminism as a whole is kind of like beyond our scope really at the moment (laughs) that's a big topic yeah absolutely Um, yeah I yeah. definitely want to see more balance in feminist retellings. I don't want them to stop being told. I I want to see more of these retellings from female perspectives. A lot of them are really good. Um, but it's possible to be feminist yeah. and have the heart of the story be about women's concerns without being a complete dick about it, in my opinion.
0: it's It's interesting because, you know, if you look at Angela Carter, Angela Carter obviously very much product second wave feminism her her bl- the bloody chamber are are feminist retellings and you look at them now and you see all sorts clunky of bits <laughs> issues there's clunky bits there's you know uh, we're not even going to get get in terms of the style which i think a lot of people don't really particularly like and i can appreciate that um But she's a product of her time and she is very much focused on the binary. And you look at it and you're like, there is some really old fashioned stuff here. And there are some ideas I've written a whole thing on it. So I'm not going to kind of go into it too much um, because I'd just be repeating myself, but it was a feminist retelling for the time. Yeah. For the period. um, And it was meant to be serving a purpose and it, it served that purpose And so I think you can look at her books now and really sort of get something out of them in terms of saying, actually, there are still some salient points here in terms of how we look at our own sexuality and stuff like that. But we've also got to understand, you know, the only way to really appreciate, I think Carter nowadays is to understand the context and to say, right, now, how do we build from that? if you're simply repeating carter which weirdly enough i kind of see a little bit in that sort of that righteous movement you're not actually it's kind of like you're you're trying to climb a stair you know you're trying to climb a staircase and you've just jumped down several steps despite the fact that that's not where the rest of uh, us are
1: i mean that i was i was sort of listening and thinking oh yeah, you're trying to get to the end of the alphabet without going through all the letters, but I like your metaphor because that's kind of like you're jumping down a staircase from the top step to the bottom step. You're going to break your legs. You're going to break the legs off this particular movement, which is actually important.
0: Yeah. Um, And again, I think it's also worth mentioning, of course, that feminism uh, is at different, you know, we're at different levels at different places among different you know cultures among different people among in different countries and stuff like that so i do also appreciate that there are certain people who are very much still in second wave feminism because that is where they kind of need to be depending on what their culture is depending on where they are what their you know how they were raised you know angela carter would be revolutionary Um, And I have no problem with that at all. It would be ridiculous to say that the whole world is all on the same level in terms of...
1: Exactly. In the Western world, you are not forbidden generally to have an education if you're female, for example. But there are parts of the world where that is very much the case.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, there are parts of the Western world where there are people who are being kind of forbidden or repressed or being pushed into certain roles and stuff like that based on religion or culture or just biology sort of a strange family or biology etc um so you know i do totally understand that also we're not all it's not all carte blanche we're not all we're not all on the same (laughs) level you um but yeah i do think as a movement in general, we've got to be yeah. very careful.
1: Okay, I'm just going to mention a couple of retellings that I personally think got it right. This is by no means an exhaustive list. I'm sure listeners have got your own opinions on them as well. Yeah. Uh, I won't go into a load of detail because I think I've actually recommended a few of these.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I've already talked about The Mists of Avalon. I would still recommend the Firebrand if you want a sort of uh, female perspective retelling of the Trojan War. That yeah. was generally quite well done as well.
0: I've obviously mentioned the Red Tent as well, which I I, I yep. do highly recommend.
1: Um, I recommend Circe by Madeline Miller. Uh, Madeline Miller is clearly not writing with a very specific feminist agenda. She is writing a a really well-rounded female character, Circe, mm. who is sort of ca- a, a bit character in the Odyssey, who is the daughter of a Titan and a sorceress who turns men into pigs on her island where she's been exiled. But there's so much more to it, and uh, Madeline Miller gives her a really great story um whereby yes she is absolutely sort of pushed and pulled a lot in terms of where she is growing up and mm-hmm. where you know m- much more powerful gods and titans are, are around her and what is done is not necessarily fair but she finds a way to rise above a lot of it and yes she does become briefly a terrible person who turns men into pigs but she has good reason for that <laughs> <laughs> um i mentioned uh, kaiki as a which is kind of a retelling from the, of the third queen's perspective in uh the i want to say the the ramayana i m- might be mispronouncing that and i'm very sorry <laughs> in hindu myth and mm-hmm. again i i do understand the perspective that if you have grown up with that particular myth maybe this isn't the truest representation, maybe it's not your soul food, in the same way that certain Arthurian tellings are not mine. (laughs) And I get that. Um, But I did think it was quite a good way of looking at, not even a villain origin story, but how somebody could come to be construed as being the villain, or even construed as being, well, you know, you've been set up by Brahma to actually deliver this particular path of thorns for the, the reborn god kind of thing. Yeah. Which
0: is also um, a good one. Yeah, uh, Jules and I have also previously mentioned in the past "Daughter of the Moon Goddess," um, which is uh, based on the, the the Chinese myth of uh, Chang'e, um, and basically, and uh, Chang'an Hui, and it kind of looks at what happens afterwards. Yeah, um, which I do think is that that's actually a really lovely. Um, story and then if we're kind of moving away from sort of retellings sort of more into adaptations obviously we have mentioned Naomi Novik as well um, who kind of I think really does do sort of look at sort of uh, takes fairy tales which um, were very uh, adapted by certain patriarchal societies and has kind of reshifted them to be less so
1: yes and all of these ones that we've we've just mentioned managed to do it without making all the male characters absolute assholes so <laughs> there's, a, yeah. there's a lot to recommend it
0: yes um, I think at the end of the day it's just about saying they're enjoyable stories because the characters are all strong yeah um, and again remember strength is nothing to do with their physical strength or their ability it's the strength of their character in terms of being rounded, enjoyable realistic um, engaging, etc
1: yeah, definitely
0: so, um, we're kind of at the end of the episode now Uh, we'd be very interested to know what you guys think, Um, do you disagree with us, you know, please feel free to do so and, you know, if you kind of think we've missed something, uh, let us know, we absolutely are always open to kind of thinking about different perspectives and stuff like that. So please do get in contact. Um, Similarly, if you agree with us or if you have any recommendations for some great uh, feminist retellings, do let us know. Now, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week and Jules, I think you've got one for us. Um,
1: This is a book that's been out for a while. It's got a bit of buzz at the time and I think she's kind of got a cult following. This This is Bone Gap by Laura Ruby. It was a really interesting semi you know sort of psychological thriller kind of thing for young adults with a tiny bit of dark fantasy as well and it doesn't answer all the questions i'll tell you that from the beginning so if you're someone who likes everything sort of neatly tied up at the end it's going to might bug you a little bit in that respect um what i like Mm. about it aside from the fact that it's beautifully written is that it invites us to consider that what we're seeing isn't what everybody else is seeing so it's already a bit of a head fuck at that point (laughs) um i don't know if you're familiar with that 80s song hazard you know mother came to hazard when i was just seven etc and all the folks in town were saying with prejudiced eyes that boy's not right that's kind of the main character Mm. I don't think it's right. recon- I don't think it's re- uh, necessarily based on that song, but it made me think of the song like constantly. <laughs> and what's happened right. is he and his brother took in uh, a Polish girl who they found cowering in their barn. Their parents died sometime before. The older brother didn't end up going off to university to be a doctor. He ended up staying and being in the ENT um, because he had to look after his younger brother who was still at school. Anyway, they find this girl in the barn. Her English is not brilliant. And she's clearly traumatised. And sort of through a series of flashbacks and and what have you, you find out that actually all three of them become very, very close. And people looking in from the outside kind of assume that both brothers have really got it bad for this girl. And you discover that's not really Mm -hmm. what happens. But then the girl goes missing. And the only person who saw her but right before she went missing, is the younger brother. And everyone's always said, yeah, there's something not right about that one. And there's kind of this low-level suspicion that he did something because the girl preferred the older brother kind of thing. So you start from that perspective. Right. And as you you unravel the story, it's kind of like, no, this isn't where that was going at all. This this is completely different. And it's just... It's a really good read. It's strangely compulsive and as I said it's beautifully written. It's got magical realism elements like the corn whispering warnings and things like that.
0: Okay. uh, That's terrifying and immediately engaging. And it's just really cool.
1: I'm going to give a small spoiler here. The main character has face blindness and that's why when he looks at people people are kind of like he's not really looking at me the right way kind of thing because he cannot, you know, mm. he he cannot distinguish a human face. He can't even recognise his own face in the mirror or in a photograph because he's got this face blindness. Right. But he doesn't know he's got it. So he distinguishes people based on things they do, what they sound like, how they hold themselves, how they walk, etc. Which is partly why he can't identify the person who abducted this girl in the first place.
0: Right okay
1: so his explanations obviously sound very thin and the whole unraveling of all of this and the romance that the younger brother has with a girl who is considered not conventionally attractive at all Mm -hmm. um it's just a really interesting way of saying no what you see is not what everyone else is seeing so it's kind of it plays on you a lot I, i really do recommend it it was a great read
0: okay i'm definitely gonna have to check that out thank you very much (laughs) and on that note guys we will say thanks very much for listening and we will catch you guys next week
1: yeah thanks and goodbye bye you've been listening to dissecting dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from itunes For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash Dissecting Readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughn.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.